Good morning. Uh, my name is Harrison. I'm one of the pastors at EP Annapolis as of just a few days ago. So I had really hoped to worship with you face to face this morning. In fact, I had longed for that. And um, the greatest pain for me when I realized we weren't going to be able to worship was that I would not be able to worship with you. Uh, I have longed for that. I could tell you that every time that we have worshiped here at EP, it has been a pleasure for us. We, we felt right at home from the, our very first worship service, which I guess was back in December. Thank you for letting us be here. I uh, look forward to getting to know you as the days, weeks, months, and years go by. It's interesting that the last few uh, sermons I've heard, the last three weeks, in fact, every one of the pastors began their sermon with an illustration about the coronavirus. Now, at the first one, it was a very distant thing back in China, and then it came a little closer, and then it was in Washington State. Well, here it is that it's, it's here. It's not a distant thing anymore, right? And so it takes on new meaning for us. When it was just a distant thing, they were doing things like uh, removing all the fans from March Madness, what I, which I thought, how can you do that? How can you play an, a March Madness game without fans in the stand? Uh, and then a week later, they're canceling March Madness altogether. And I thought again, how can you do that? And then, then it's upon us. And because we love uh, each other, because we love Annapolis, because we love uh, the city, the state, the nation, the world, we, we're not meeting together this morning. But it's new and it's different, isn't it? Sometimes God calls us to very hard things, good things, but hard things, not always easy, in fact, rarely easy, sometimes not fun, but always good. The Lord takes us to some instruction about that in the book of Mark as we continue our series there this morning. Follow along with me, if you will, in Mark chapter 8. We'll start reading in verse 27. And go through chapter 9, verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say, Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, 
of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Will you pray with me? Father, you have given us your word. Lord, there, there is much that has changed in our world in the last week. But your word never changes. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Father, you give us your good, steady word straight from you. Lord, I pray that as we open up your word and as I preach your word this morning, Lord, that you would, you would use it for your glory and for the good of your people. Lord, I pray that you would use this broken vessel to pour out good, clean, living water for your glory in Jesus. Amen. Amen. I think it's good for us to unpack this passage, especially in light of what's going on in our world today, because here Jesus calls us to some hard things. We're going to kind of look at three things. We're going to try to answer that question, who is the Christ? What's Peter talking about there when he says you are the Christ? And then we're going to ask that question, what does it mean to deny ourselves and take up our cross? And then lastly, we're going to try to answer that question, what does it mean to follow Jesus in the context of this passage, okay? So when, when he says, when Jesus asks the question, who do people say that I am? He's asking the disciples. The 12 are with him. And he's, he's asking them, and, and one of them says, well, uh, Elijah. And another one says, well, maybe John the Baptist. And still another one uh, says, well, maybe one of the prophets. And then he, he asks them, all of them together, who do you say that I am? And Peter has been appointed or has appointed himself more than likely as the spokesman. And he looks to Jesus and he says, you are the Christ. I think it's evident from this passage that they had talked about this kind of thing. Maybe, you know, over some, some flatbread and wine the night before. Who knows? But they had talked about these kind of things. And so Peter is, is giving Jesus what they had all talked about and decided. You are the Christ. And that's important in this place because there had been a lot of imposters down through the years. Other men had, had, had come forward over, uh, over the decades, maybe even centuries, and said, hey, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one that's going to lead you to victory over Rome. I'm the one that's going to deliver you from this or from that. I, I am the Christ. So when Peter says you are the Christ, he's saying that above all of those others, you are the real one keeping with Jesus' own words. And Jesus said in John uh, 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the Christ. No one comes to the Father through me. The, the other part of that is true. The other side of that, think about it. Those that come to the Father through Jesus, he has them. He is the way, the truth, the life. You get to the Father through Jesus Christ, and the Father has a grip on you, and he will not let you go. Back in John chapter 6, Jesus had told the, the people that uh, those that the Father has given me, I will not let go of. Those that the Father has given me, the Father will not let go of. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. So when we come to the Father through Jesus, he has us. He has us forever, even in the midst of of viruses and tragedies and struggles that we're going through either as a city as a nation or even in our own own church paul tells timothy in first timothy 2 5 that there's one mediator 
between God and man, the Lord Jesus Christ. There is only one. There is none other. There is one, the Christ. Now, when he says that he's the Christ, he's saying that you're the one that is the Messiah, the one that is the, the, the mediator, the go-between between God and man, and the only one. The struggle is that we often, we often want to put ourselves in that place. We want to apply for the job as the fourth person of the Trinity. Dear God, pick me. I want to join your team. You're so lucky to have me. Let me have some of that control. Uh, Thankfully, God will turn down that application again and again and again. And he's going to turn down Peter's application for a similar role in just a moment. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he calls calls all of them up at this point, and, and he says, look, there's going to come a time when the Son of Man must suffer many things. He must be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and he must be killed. And after three days, rise again. I'm not sure Peter heard that last part, that after three days, Jesus is going to rise again. But he heard the first part, that the Son of Man must suffer, the Son of Man must be rejected, and the Son of Man must be killed. Now that suffering is going to take place as he is he's out in the world without a place to lay his head. The suffering is going to take place as he is beaten, as, as he has, has a th- crown of thorns upon his head. The suffering is going to take place as he takes the sins of all man upon his own shoulders, upon his own soul, and takes it to a cross. The rejection is taking place because they're saying, no, we don't believe that you're the Messiah. We don't want you. And so the chief priests, the scribes, and the, the leaders, the elders, they push him aside. We don't want you. You know what it's like to be rejected, don't you? Every one of us do. When Jesus was rejected, Jesus was going to suffer. Jesus was not going to just die a natural death. When he says, I'm going to be killed, I think that's what really probably rose Peter's head up and his arms up. And he takes Jesus by the arm, maybe, and he pulls him aside. He said, let's, let's go over here, Jesus. We've got to talk about this. Jesus, you can't say those things. We need to know that you're the leader. Think about where Peter was coming from. You and I might have done the exact same thing. These disciples had left everything they had. Peter, Andrew, James, and John had left uh, commercial family fishing businesses. So they had left their wealth. They had left their friends. They had left their families. They had left the opportunities to woo the girls in in the villages. Now, Peter had a wife, we know that, but we don't know about the rest of them. Maybe they had left potential fiancés behind, and so they left the opportunity to have children. They left families behind, so they left their heritage behind. All that's gone. So they've left all that, and they're following Jesus, and then Jesus says to them, I must suffer, be rejected, and be killed. These guys can't go home after that. They've, they've lost their reputation. They go home and they'll be seen as a quack. They go home, they'll, they'll be poor because they've lost their businesses. Uh, they'll be single because no one's going to let their daughter marry one of those quacks. They'll be quacks. They followed this guy that said he was a Messiah and he isn't a Messiah. So Peter's coming to Jesus and he's saying, wait a minute, we don't want to go down that road. Don't say those things. But Jesus, Jesus is going in that direction anyway. He knows what's coming. 
he pulls Peter aside and gives him a, a quick rebuke. Some would say it's a harsh rebuke. He says, get behind me, Satan. If you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. That sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it? I mean, it's one thing to, to correct your children or somebody that you work with or, or something of that nature, but to look at them and say, hey, get behind me, Satan. He wasn't calling Peter Satan. What he was doing is he was saying, Peter, your words are acting on behalf of the kingdom of Satan. Your words are going to lead us in that direction. So it, it wasn't a harsh rebuke of Peter. I would say it was a very kind rebuke. It was a very gracious thing that Jesus did, not only for Peter, but for all of us. I mean, just look, look at what happens if that rebuke doesn't happen. If Peter is allowed to interrupt God's plan, if Peter is allowed to play the Christ, to play the Messiah, and, and interrupt God's plan working through Jesus Christ, if Peter's allowed to carry that on, what happens? Well, we're not here. We're not worshiping the Lord. We don't, we don't have this. There is no crucifixion. There is no resurrection. There is no eternal life. It's a very kind thing that Jesus does by rebuking and correcting Peter in this place. Correction is a good thing. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, we see that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. So that, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Jesus is giving that to Peter in this place so that the good work of Jesus Christ planned from before the foundation of the world would carry on for your benefit, for my benefit. Jesus is going to correct Peter not only in this place, but he'll correct him later on. When, when, Peter is, when Peter claims that I will never reject you, I will follow you wherever, and Jesus tells him, hey, look, there's going to come a day when you're going to deny me not once, not twice, but three times before the rooster crows. And that's exactly what happens. And then the rooster crows and Peter knows what he has done. In every situation, Jesus restores Peter. After, after the, the, the incident where the rooster crows and, and Peter has denied Jesus and, and the, uh, the garden or the, the scene comes later on where uh, they're by the seaside and Peter is before Jesus and Jesus looks at him in John 21. He says, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. In every situation, Jesus restores Peter. And then Peter's the one that opens up the word at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And thousands come to know the Lord for forever. These broken times in the life of Peter play out as God takes him and disciplines him and raises him up for the good of the kingdom of God, for your good and my good, even centuries and centuries Later, Hebrews 12 tells us that a father disciplines those that he loves. If the father were to leave Peter's desires to be the Christ, to be the Messiah, to be the one that controlled and managed everything, if the father were to leave all of that unaddressed, then it would have been a sign of a lack of love for Peter. It would have also been a sign of a lack of love for you and me. But the father disciplines those that he loves. Now, we read that in Hebrews 12, and we use that 
maybe in the life of our children, we think it's a good thing. But then when that discipline comes our way as adults, we're not so excited about it, right? But it's still a good thing. It's still a good thing. I love the Father's discipline because it's a sign that He loves me and He's not going to let me go down a path that is not good for me, not good for my family. So we, we, we love the Father's discipline and we welcome that. Peter, like so many of us, had a desire to control God and control God's plan. The Lord will not let us do that. Even as he rebukes Peter, he calls Peter to something more. To something harder? Yeah, to something more there. He calls Peter to something honorable. He calls Peter to follow him. At this point in the passage, he calls the whole crowd to him. He's rebuked Peter. He calls everyone up. So you get Peter here. You get the, the other 11 disciples behind Peter. And you've got a large crowd. We don't have a larger crowd, but a large crowd behind Peter. And Jesus calls them all up as if he, it's as if he says, okay, everyone, come on up. Come close where you can hear me. And he says to all of them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's a call to something that is more, to something that is harder. Listen, the only thing that will, that will cause us to let go of things that we love is something that we love more. The only thing that will cause us to let go of something that's good is something that is better. The only thing that's going to cause us to let go of something that's better is something that is best. Jesus is best. He's better than all of that. And so when he's calling these to follow him, to take up their cross, deny themselves, and follow him, he's calling, he's calling the whole crowd, just as he calls you and me, to something better, to something that's, that's best. What does it mean, though, when he says, hey, deny yourself, take up your cross? Well, couple things we need to know first that it's present tense so what does that mean in this case what it means is it's to be done continually so that denial isn't a a one-time thing it's a thing that's going to happen today and forever and ever and ever we're going to keep doing that as the days go by as the moments and minutes go by we keep we keep after that every morning jack miller said we used to we need to um, preach the gospel to ourselves every morning why because we have to have it you have to have it, and I have to have it. We have to have the gospel, so we preach it to ourselves, deny ourselves daily, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. So when I was, when I was a young Christian, I read this, that we're supposed to deny ourselves. I thought that, well, that, that must refer to these big vices. I mean, I was a college student at Auburn, um, and there were vices everywhere. So, you know, you're supposed to deny yourself that action or that action or that action over there. But it's so much deeper than that. I mean, think about it. Think about it. These guys had already left everything they had known, and they're following Jesus. They're not, they're not following the other stuff. So when he says deny yourself, he's calling them to something deeper. He's calling them to something more intimate, a different intimate relationship with him. Not just to the outward stuff. The context tells us it's something even greater. Let's go back to the garden, the first garden. Remember how Eve was tempted? What did the serpent tempt her with? He tempted her with a desire to be like God. The same thing Peter's tempted with here. I want to control the outcome. I want to control people. I want to control the situations. I want to be like God. So Peter's been tempted with that. So was Eve. You and I are tempted with the same thing. And he's saying, deny it, let it go. 
Die to that desire. Die to the desire to guarantee approval, to guarantee success. Die to your desires to be right. You say, well, wait, isn't success a good thing? Well, yeah. Is it being right a good thing? Definitely. Who doesn't want to be right? But my friends, it's okay to be wrong. I mean, you think about it, think about it. You're in a conversation with somebody, and in this particular conversation, one of you can be right and one of you can be wrong because the ideas are mutually exclusive. Somebody has to be wrong. Why in your mind, your heart, does it always have to be the other person that's wrong? Because we want to be like God. We can't stand being wrong. I can't. But the reality is there's something beautiful in saying it's okay to be wrong. Give up your desire to be right. It's okay that somebody else has greater wisdom than you. Die to your idols of wealth and fame and sex and success and, and power. Be done with those things. I mean, see, those things, are, those things are good things, but when they take control of our hearts and our minds, then they've become idols and they lead us away from Jesus Christ. We don't live, though, in a world of denying self, do we? We live in a world that encourages us to take whatever we can. We're told that we deserve it. It's ours. Grab it with all the gusto you can. Why is it so hard? Look at verse 30, 35 with me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Well, we don't want to lose our life. We want to save our life. So we want to hang on to all of that stuff within, all of those idols that we let define us. We think those things are what make us who we are, and they're not. But we want to hang on to them. Jesus says here in verse 35 and then 36, we hang on to those things and we're going to lose the life. We're going to lose all that stuff, that identity that we think we've gained. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Well, it doesn't. Jesus, in, in his graciousness, is reminding us again to let it go. Let's head down to the last part. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, in, in this context, think about what he said. He said, if you would come after me, deny, take up cross, follow me. If you come after me, follow me. If you'd follow me, follow me. What he's saying is, if you say you're going to follow me, then follow me. If you say you're going to follow me with your words, follow me with your heart. If you say that you're going to come after me and you're going to declare yourself as a believer in Jesus Christ, then lay down that life that you so desperately hang on to in the depths of your soul. Let go of it. Quit letting it have a grip on your identity and who you are. Let your identity be wrapped up in me is what Jesus is telling us here. It's an inward intimacy with the Father that is ours through Jesus Christ. But through Jesus Christ, it is ours in a deeper way than we can ever, ever imagine. If we're going to follow Jesus, then we follow him with all of our hopes and dreams, all of our desires all wrapped up in Jesus Christ. Is it hard to let go of those other things? Yeah, but it's good. saw a film of a a young girl... uh, probably seven or eight years old, on a zip line. And it was, it was all she could do to get off the platform and, and head down the zip line. Now, I've been on a zip line before, and it probably took me, I don't know, three hours to get off the platform. Okay, maybe three or four minutes, but it seemed like an eternity. And mine went across the valley. 
This little girl, it was all she could do to get off the platform and onto the zip line. And you know what gave her the courage to do that? You got to get the picture. The zip line platform was about six feet off the ground. So it wasn't like it was way up in a tree. It was just about six feet off the ground. Uh, if she had jumped off of it, she would have, it would have been fine. But she couldn't do it until her father walks over under the line and he's holding his arms out like that. If you fall, I've got you. If you fall, I'm going to get you. It's okay. And then she's able to step off the platform, hanging onto the zip line bars, and has the time of her life. Listen, when Jesus has you, the Father has you, and he will not let you go. Yes, it's hard to let go of those other idols and those things in our life that we let define us, but the Father has us. It's okay. He's in our midst. In Zephaniah chapter 3, we read these words. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Listen, it's not just that he's in your midst. It's not just that he has you, but he is rejoicing over you. Isn't that an identity worth hanging on for? So we'll let go of the stuff of earth because we know the Lord, our God, is in our midst. Let me close with this story. When I was about five years old, four, five, somewhere in there, I went fishing with my father. I remember it like it was yesterday, although some of the details have been filled in by my Uncle Dan since then. It was a small fishing boat, maybe 14, 15 feet long, on a little farm pond in, uh, in Hartford, Alabama, the deep, deep, deep south. And I was sitting in the front, and my father was in the middle, and Uncle Dan was in the back. And uh, we, it was a cold, windy day out on that farm pond. And uh, Uncle Dan tells me that uh, as the, the, the wind picked up a little bit and it got chillier and chillier, that my father took off his big field jacket. He was in the Air Force. He took off his big green field jacket, and he scooted up to the front of the boat, and he wrapped it around gently from behind. And he said, son, then you stopped shivering and your dad got cold. That's what a father does. And a few minutes later, I hooked onto a big one. And we were fishing with these little bamboo cane poles. And I'll remember this part for the rest of my life. These bamboo cane poles... And I hooked onto something. This, this pole is just bending double. And there was no way this little four or five-year-old boy was going to pull that thing in. And about that time, my father moves up behind me. And his big arms wrap around my little body. And his big hands wrap around my little hands. And the father pulls it in. You know, there's something about me that said I did this. But it was every bit the Father that did it through me. When Jesus is telling us here to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him, he's telling us that because he's got us. And he knows that that's what's best for us. We live in hard times, I know that. This week has been hard here at EP. This week has been hard here in our, in our nation with the virus that's come upon us. But the Father calls us to do the hard thing 
of, of denying ourselves and taking up our cross and following him. He calls us to do the hard things of following each other. But what he promises us here are fo- following him and loving each other. But what he promises is that he is here with us in our midst, loving through us, loving in us. Will you pray with me? Father, you call us to do some things sometimes that are hard, but they're good. So, Father, even as we uh, seek to love each other well, to lay down our idols, pray, Father, that you'll help us to do that, that you'll be working in us and in our midst. Father, that above all else, you'll be glorified in the doing of it. For the sake of your name and the gospel, in Jesus' name, amen.